Break out your wireframes and heat up those Git repos. We're ready to tackle topics ranging from accessibility to front-end design, user experience, and beyond. You're listening to the Drunken UX Podcast with your hosts, Michael Feenan and Aaron Hill. Hey everybody, this is the introduction, the series premiere, season premiere, that's the way you say that. We are, this is the season premiere of season five of the Drunken UX podcast. Welcome to the show. Today we're going to be talking about how you get into CSS BEM. Ladies and gentlemen, I am your host, Michael Feenan. And I'm your other, other host, Aaron. How you doing, Michael? I'm doing uh, darn tootin' well. Uh, <laughs> we are recording this, of course, before uh, the start of the new year. And uh, I don't know why I always go to the weather, but Kansas is always an interesting bag of like weird weather. And it was yeah, 70 a, on Christmas. <laughs> if a comet hits the planet on the new year, then uh, I guess you, then you be don't get to this. hear this. I'm sorry. Yeah. But it, we will have done it. So we're ahead of the game. We're, yeah, we're a little ahead. I, I got out yesterday. That's what, that's what matters when a comet hits the planet. I, I went for a walk <laughs> in a t shirt with no jacket, nothing like hat, pants, mm-hmm. obviously. Uh, but it's like, man, I, I've, how do you go for a walk like that in the end of December and not need hat and gloves and all of that? So I'm not saying climate change is real, but I am saying Kansas <laughs> be weird right now. <laughs> I, I picked up a pizza last night and I, when I walked into the plaza, um, I was, I mean, I don't know. I, I wear in the winter, I wear a hoodie jeans and a hat until it's like single digit temperatures Fahrenheit. Um, and then I'll put a vest on and then I, I don't get the winter coat out until it's below zero. Um, but I mean, last night though, I mean, it was like mid forties maybe when I walked in to get it. And then when I walked out, it was snowing. So <laughs> our, our weather, weather has also been very weird. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're enjoying the Drunken UX podcast, be sure to run by our sponsors over at Tela. Tela is a premier screen recording software platform, SaaS uh, all of those things. You just jump in Chrome, jump in Firefox. It does it right in your browser. Set up a free account and you can record your screen so that you can do demonstrations for clients or customers. You can uh, show things off to your followers or create documentation or whatever is piquing your interest. They give you a real fast, easy way to record what's going on in your screen, combine it with any kind of video, audio, and do it in a way that looks good, feels good, and makes it easy to share that information. If you want to go get a free account and try them out, go to tele.com slash ducks. That's T-E-L-L-A dot com slash D-U-X. Um, it is early morning. For change, yeah. Uh, Aaron and I are on vacation. We we said, you know what? Uh, we got two holidays. Let's let's string together ten days off. Um, so uh, at, at this early hour, believe it or not, I'm not scotching it up. Uh, good old coffee, brother. <laughs> yeah, coffee same. Is, is the drink. I'm I'm drunk on caffeine and energy. I'm drinking decaf, uh, but yes, also coffee. My cat is used to me being in here to work at this hour. And she has decided to curl up on my lap as this is a normal oh, well, thing. I guess you're just stuck there the rest of the day. And so, yeah, I am literally stuck here for the rest of yeah. the morning at this point. Cause she's like, oh, no, you're you're working till lunch. I You don't need to get up now. <laughs> so she is also she's our special guest star uh, for this episode. So 
Uh, yeah, uh, we've got a topic for you today. We're going to get into some stuff, and, and we've got a few of these lined up for this season where we're going to get into, mm-hmm. like, just, like, how do you do some things? Like, what, what are these words meaning? Um, and so to kick off season five, we're going to do a beginner's guide to something called CSS BEM. Uh, you've heard this very recently um, because yeah. we, we mentioned it. Um, it was episode 13, um, a disconnected functional CSS of my wretchedness. Mm-hmm. For those of you that feel like that title is very confusing, there was a brief period at the start of season one where I was trying to do um, song lyric puns as all of our titles, and <laughs> that did not – I'm not good at that, so we stopped I thought, doing that. No, I, I thought they were great. I didn't always get the lyric references, but I can imagine that 26 episodes a year becomes difficult to keep that going. It it I didn't make it twenty six episodes I don't think before I was just like no no it doesn't because uh, yeah, I did I had to dig on some of those to like yeah. make a title that made any amount of sense and frequently it didn't so that is why that is such a weird title I I just wanted to put that out there in case anybody's ever wondered why were there season one episodes named so strange I think we should keep you keep it up there you know what you did. Yeah, that's my my shame is the world's to see. I'm not to, I'm not gonna to hide from that. Um, so in, in that episode though, we we talked about BEM. We also talked about things like tachyons, mm-hmm. um, and other patterns that like we we didn't go like super deep into any of them. But it was this idea of hey, functional CSS exists, mm-hmm. um, and that's what BEM is. BEM is something called functional CSS, a functional CSS yeah, framework. So- can you remind me what the functional means? Because it's not functional like functional programming. Yeah, yeah. It's, and it's and obviously all CSS is like lowercase f functional because it you know it works. Yeah, things like BAM and tachyons. <laughs> it's not malfunctioning. <laughs> or or uh, was it um CSS and some of these? Mm. Uh, they are functional CSS frameworks. Sometimes you'll hear them referred to as just CSS methodologies. Mm-hmm. Um, CSS is very um, unopinionated, right? And so these methodologies, these vocabularies, mm-hmm. um, give us a way to write CSS that m- gives it form, so to speak, that gives it opinions. Okay. Uh, so that when you come back to the oh. CSS in six months, I see what you mean. like there's an organization to it that makes some amount of sense. Right. You can, of course, write CSS. The vanilla way. I'm going to give this a class. I'm going to create a selector that is ID header class menu. Uh, <laughs> that's span. that's my man. That's my favorite way to do it. Ne- yeah, you can nest yeah. those selectors. You know, the 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 CSS the C in CSS means cascading. So mm-hmm. the the notion being that you can create these selectors that can dribble bits of design down its chain. This is good, and this is. Not good. Um, it's kind of one of those things where, and, and what you'll see as we start talking about BEM, BEM actually foregoes a lot of the cascade mm-hmm. part of this discussion. And that will feel weird to a lot of people because it's like, well, the whole point in CSS is that you utilize this cascade. Mm-hmm. And what we have discovered in the intervening years of, of CSS, decades of CSS, is that the cascade can work with you and work very much against you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so these methodologies attempt to solve those problems. And so we don't, it's just, we don't have another, you know, what else do you call it in that sense? You know, right, methodology right. is a good word. Functional CSS is a little bit 
I, I don't love that. I prefer methodology, <laughs> and I really like just calling them vocabularies. Like it, it gives you a way to talk. To vocabulary the is good. Uh, functional CSS feels like namespace collision. Uh, methodology, I like. That's a good term. Convention. Convention, Convention. is a good word. Yeah. Like, because Bootstrap and Foundation would be frameworks because, like, the opinions are both established but already, like, manifest. You know, you already have LG-call-3 written. Then, but, like, the... It's, like, the difference between, like, design philosophy and, like, the style guide is the implementation. Right. And the execution of it. But the design philosophy is the driving force that led to that. So the functional CSS would be the force leading to it and then the found the framework would be the execution. Yeah. And with like a, a real framework, um, take a foundation or, or a bootstrap mm-hmm. or anything like that, you know, it's hard to break convention in them. Right. Like, right. Yeah. The, it's right. The turnkey. opinions that they have baked in like, okay, yeah, you have to use LG call three, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. um, you know, grid X, um, the, these classes that they throw in there and, to depart from them is to court chaos, basically. Right, right. Or just to make make your life very difficult. <laughs> so CSS BIM has been around about nine years. Um, mm-hmm. It first sort of hit the radar around 2012. Uh, it was this, around when SAS kind of started, right? Um, that Maybe not right at the question. beginning, but like around when SAS started picking up popularity. I'm just remembering like when I started using SAS or when I first learned about it, it was around that time. But we were starting to think about these things. We were already starting to identify the fact that there are problems with trying to write monolith CSS files Mm -hmm. that you have teams of people working on. The place where this came from is a company called Yandex. Yandex? Yandex? Uh, It's a search engine. Okay. Russian search engine, I believe. Uh, and they were the ones who kind of sat down and said, you know what? Our CSS is is a problem, you know, for our developers, mm-hmm. for our implementation. We need to find a better way. And so I think it was early in 2012, they put out a spec, not, a, I mean, a spec, a, you know, an introduction, an outline for a meth- this methodology called BAM. Mm-hmm. Varvara Stepanova wrote about this over on Smashing Magazine about that same time, um, and she got into, like, all this background and why they did it and, and how it worked, and that, that was sort of the world's introduction then to, hey, here's this new thing. You guys should all go check it out. We think this is going to really change how you think about CSS. So so BEM itself is, you know, like I say, nine years old now. Um, mm-hmm. It's It's been around a while. It's stuck around really well. Uh, one thing I found interesting, though, and I don't, I don't even know what made me think to do this, but I went and plugged it into uh, Google Trends. Okay. I was just curious. I'm like, you know, I wonder what the growth rate and, and interest has been in it. And interestingly, it peaked around 2017 and has kind of been declining since then. <laughs> and it's not nothing Got some now. On that. <laughs> but it, But it is, like, decreasing. I... I Paste it. I'll, I'll throw this into the uh, uh, the show notes as well. But Aaron can see it in in our mm-hmm. like our, our internal show notes. Yeah, it's like um, a slight decline. It's yeah. There is definitely a downward trend in mm-hmm. in interest in CSS BEM on Google, and it makes me wonder why. I, and uh, I don't know. 
I, I would be purely speculating, but four four years ago, I I would guess that <sighs> is it is it more options? Is it because we have more different ways of doing this now? Do you think that would be my guess? Like we have like with all the other um, opinionated frameworks, like Bootstrap had already been out for a while at that point, and so had Foundation. My my guess, honestly, is that it's probably people moving away from writing omnibus css because they're moving towards styled javascript components i but that would be my guess though is that it's related to like styled components and things and so people moving away from building their css as like a monolith yeah i'm not sure um because the the thing that strikes me as odd about it is this we're not talking about like a technology or a tool specifically Mm -hmm. This is a methodology, and, and CSS itself has not changed in a way that I feel like would make this the, the methodology obsolete. In fact, quite the opposite. I think it's very important to have methodology. Maybe not BIM, but mm-hmm. I think you need to understand methodologies and pick one to sure. work with in your stuff. And this this goes – we've named, of course, Tachyons as one. There's – what is it? Oom CSS. There's Smacks. Mm-hmm. There's OOCSS, object-oriented CSS. Mm-hmm. Um, there's ACSS, like there's all of these different um, architectures, blueprints, mm-hmm. uh, functional CSS, methodologies. All of these words are are usable in any of this. But, but um, atomic CSS, that's a ACSS is atomic CSS. But um, the uh, regarding how long ago was this? Um, I did find an article written by Chris Epstein, um, the creator of Compass. If you're, you've Compass before, the it builds your SaaS for you constantly. Right. This is 2009, September 2009. And he says, um, I've seen a number of comments on blogs and Twitter that amount to, you don't need a new style syntax. CSS is simple and you're a moron if you can't use it. I agree. CSS is simple. You assign style primitives to elements and some of those primitives cascade down to the elements contained within. I get it. It's simple to understand. But CSS is not simple to use or maintain. It's time for style sheets to evolve so you can take web design to the next level. Yeah. And I mean, the, the article goes on at length. There's a link in the show notes for it that I just put there. Okay, Surprise. great. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's <laughs> a great way of saying that. Like, what did you say? 2009? So 12 yeah. years ago, 13 yeah. years ago. So this isn't when, this isn't when SAS was first made. Like, um, it very must early. have pre this, but it would have been very early in the process because it had not yet been adopted. <laughs> and we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit here in a bit, but the, the, it's important to note SAS is absolutely not a, a required tool to use mm-hmm. them at all. Like SAS is just a tool to write CSS. Makes it hella easier though. It, yeah, it can make it much easier and, and I'll yeah. explain how that is. But yeah, you don't, I, I just wanted to put that out, you know, at the start of sure. what we're talking about here. You can just open VS Code and do it. Being able to do like um, the nested styling of, stat, of SAS, especially with ampersand mm-hmm. appending, um, with them especially is like huge. I, I yeah, say yeah. this, in practice, having used it at previous jobs where we use them. So let's springboard off that uh, quote though, sure. that you just read, right? And you kind of asked this to start with, and I, I got into it. Mm-hmm. CSS at its heart is very unopinionated. Right. It says you can use IDs, you can use classes, you can use uh, you know element selectors, you can use pseudo selectors, you can use attribute selectors. You know, we've got all of this power, um, mm-hmm. in, and it's like, use them in a combination. The problem is... That CSS, that people will say, well, CSS cascades. That is the mm-hmm. C, that is the point, that is the power. 
right. I say CSS leaks. And anybody who's worked on enough CSS over time has ran into this where, yes, it cascades. And sometimes it cascades in ways that you don't realize or predict. You know, it's like a, a, an avalanche, so to speak, coming down the mountain where it's like, yeah, most <laughs> you, you can see it all coming down the front of the mountain and know it's going to end up at the bottom. But then you don't realize, oh, some of it goes off the side. Maybe a little bit even falls down the backside. You know, I, I, I would agree that there is that. There is an artistry behind writing your CSS to minimize leakage. Yes. Uh, like you, you are correct that it can happen. Um, I think that if you are intentional and cognizant of what you're writing, you can minimize and mostly eliminate leakage. Um, it's, it's, you have to really, it's easier to do with SAS because you know, all these styles are living underneath this other one. So it's guaranteed to, to not leave this scope. Um, but yeah, it's like, it, it can be problematic if you aren't careful, <laughs> especially with mix-ins. <laughs> Specificity is the, the part of the equation where CS said, CSS said, here's all your selectors, mm -hmm. use them how you may. And here's the way we calculate specificity. And yeah. on paper, that feels like that is all you would need. It's like, oh, mm -hmm. We have an equation. We have, you know, and we've talked about CSS specificity in past episodes and how to calculate it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that feels like that would be enough. The problem is it's very powerful, but that power is very unfocused. Um, it can work really well and it can turn on you in an instant. And I'll, I'll change my avalanche metaphor. Think of it a lot like herding sheep with a dog, you know, like. That mm -hmm. is a process we have used forever. It works really well for most farmers um, or, or sheep herders, you know, whatever the, that wor right word is. Um, but at the same time, you are using one animal to corral other animals, and sometimes animals do not behave as you might expect. And one of those sheep still gets separated from the herd, you know, um, and you have to deal with that. And sometimes many of those animals will get broken off from the herd maybe there's an opening in your fence that you didn't know about and they go running out of that instead of I, through the gate into the other field i don't know if this is a this is like a laterally improved metaphor okay well <laughs> by the way the the specificity we discussed in episode 93 accessibility overlays and calculating css specificity that was recently. Uh, july of last year um so you end up doing a lot of scope management in CSS mm -hmm. to prevent I 100% right? agree there. Yes, 100% um, so, agree. Yeah, and we have to, like, what is scope management? It's whatever we say it is. You know, is that using an ID to wrap something? Is it's like it, science. It's whatever you say. <laughs> yeah, it's whatever you say it is. Um, and the other part of it is that we need these kind of things because on one hand, if it is just you writing CSS for a small project, Okay, fine. Like, the, it is absolutely appropriate to say this project is small enough that it does not need and would not benefit from CSS BEM. Sure. I'm the only one writing it. It's a few hundred lines of CSS. No big deal. Mm -hmm. But any project where you have multiple devs involved, um, you know, or, or you're building something somebody else is going to take over down the road or anything mm -hmm. like that. Um, I'm going to use this word again. You need the shared vocabulary because I, so I completely agree with you on that. Um, whether or not you're choosing to use BEM, 
you do not want to have that. That is an absolute recipe for having constant leakage is having everyone having different approaches to how they're writing right. CSS. Um, and man, that is a, that's a dangerous place to walk in. And it's not that you can't trust people with the keys to the CSS, but like you definitely want to limit it so that you don't have um, multiple, what'd you call them? Dialects of how to write the CSS. Well, that, uh, let's that's how you, with the word opinions, right? Like, yeah, CSS is unopinionated and it will not mm-hmm. force you into any one opinion. That oh, is yeah. a a business decision, a technology decision that mm-hmm. you make. And if you don't make one and you have four developers all touching stuff, you're going to end up with four different opinions being used in different parts of your CSS. Mm-hmm. And so that becomes a huge maintenance problem, especially when those people start leaving uh, over yeah. time. And you have to go back in and figure out why did they nest these selectors now I've got to use because <laughs> right we we have this thing called the important flag right on on a CSS property you can do an important and that says hey reset the specificity do this thing if it matches the selector right and it's kind of anti pattern to use that because it breaks the specificity calculation and so it can <laughs> hurt downstream decision making I can't imagine how but you can do it. And that's where you end up making those decisions is it's like, I can't undo all of the stuff this other d- developer did in a timely matter, so, manner. So I'm just going to important all of these rules. And then in six more months, somebody comes in and has to work on that. And they're like, why did they important all of this crap? It's getting in my way. Like, this is <laughs> where this stuff really starts falling apart. And if you haven't ran into it, you will. Like, it will happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let's get into this, right? So CSS BEM, we've been saying this BEM, BEM, BEM. What does BEM mean? BEM is Block Element Modifier. Explosion. Uh, Molotov. Yes. Uh, (laughs) No, uh, it was the Bulgarians in World War II that had the Molotov uh, factory um, to fight the Nazis. I think that was... Bulgaria, um, maybe it was Romania. I'm going to say it's Bulgaria because then Bulgarian exploding Molotovs. There you go. <laughs> I did it for you. Um, I probably had to make up some history for that. Um, there was, there, there, that was a thing though. There was a factory that did that. Um, so BEM uses this approach and they say, so the way you name your classes when you are mm-hmm. doing markup, you do blocks, you do elements, you do modifiers, and I want to go through those sort of individually real fast. What, what do those mean when you're when you're doing this? So blocks, um, and each of these, I'll give you the definition. This comes from getbem.com, um, okay. which will be linked in the show notes. Blocks are defined as standalone entities that is meaningful on its own. Um, so well, what does that mean? Let's say a pricing table, or maybe a form. Maybe you... So uh, like- a hero. We might commonly call them components, components. like lowercase lowercase c component. Right. So something that might have traditionally, it might have an ID selector or maybe a class selector that is would appear a few or, times on a page. Or right? yeah, or just a very discreet name as its class, yeah. right? Like it name it names a domain concept. Yeah. Right? So, and to what you just mentioned, right, there's this concept of namespacing blocks. Mm -hmm. And this is, again, this is a choice you can make. You don't have to do it. 
Um, Harry Roberts wrote about this back in 2015, again, link in the show notes. Um, and he recommends quite a few different ways of namespacing this and how you would do mm -hmm. this in BAM is you would have a class name, something like C dash person. And okay. what that would mean is a card for a person, or like you said, it may be a component. C, C can be component. C can be card, depending on your, again, your vocabulary you're using, but card component. The, the notion is you would have a bunch of things that would be C dash something. Mm -hmm. And those would be your cards or your components. That would be the C dash person, C dash mm, form, okay. C dash see, like, hero. O dash for object. Right. U yeah. Dash he's, for his are very basic. Again, this is just a convention that human beings are putting out there. You yeah, can make up cool. your own. Um, I've seen W for a rapper. <laughs> <laughs> like W dash section for a section wrapper. Maybe you've got parts of your page that go from white to gray to blue, like background colors. So you might have W dash sections for each of those wrappers uh, to change those colors. Okay, wait, I just want to call out a few of the things he has listed here. Um, there's is dash and has dash. Yep. These for signifying the piece of UI in question is styled a certain way because of a state or condition. And underscore as a prefix. And then the comment is signify that this class is the worst of the worst, a hack. Yes. <laughs> we'll we'll talk then, about those too here in just a second. Uh, and then JS dash signifies that it has some, um, this piece of the DOM has behavior acting on it. And then Q, this is my favorite one, QA dash signify that a QA or test engineering team is running an automated UI test, which needs to find or bind into these pieces of the DOM. I, I, I love that. I, yeah. I I use um the data attributes a lot yeah, in so HTML5 for test hooks. Um but I have occasionally used classes or like added classes that are descriptive, but really there's no CSS. It's just for being like a test hook. Yeah, 2015, um, so, we, we were not using data attributes to the extent yeah. that we do now, certainly. This is really I I don't know that I would use this personally, but I really appreciate like the thoughtfulness behind this. Um, that's very cool. That, there's another one too. L L is used a lot as a layout, so you might have L dash two column. That is oh, okay. a, a okay. two column layout. So, and you got also to some of the variants that break this one letter pattern is has JS. Those yeah. are some. Make up your own. Like these are things yeah. again. Make up what makes sense for you, or use none of them. Um, none mm -hmm. of that is required or or enforced. Like I say, this is what makes sense um, for the pattern. Yeah. Elements, E. An element is a part of a block that has no standalone meaning and is semantically tied to its block. So that might be, uh, so using like this idea of a pricing table, a yeah. price tag would be an element of that pricing table or maybe the plan name, you know, if it's Okay, so when we form. say element, we're not saying like HTML element. Right. We mean like a, I'm going to use this word again, component, a piece, yes. a, a piece. like... A thing. A, th a thing, a... Not a subdivision. Some, something that is semantically relevant and opinionated. You know, yeah. uh, let's say, uh, you know, if you're building a little blog excerpt panel, a blog mm -hmm. card, so C-blog ah. feature. Ah, so the block would be the gestalt, and then the element would be a part of the gestalt. So the part... I, I haven't watched The is... Witcher. <laughs> <laughs> gestalt the Rivea. <laughs> gestalt uh, the common definition is like the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. So 
the block would be the whole W H O L E. And then the element would be the parts, which right. individually are, don't carry significance themselves, but like combined with in the block, they become something notable. Let's say, and I'm going to, I'm going to stick with what I was just saying. Let's say you're making a, a a block that is like a little card to show mm-hmm. a blog excerpt, right? Sure. And you're going to show three of those across, you know, a, okay, okay. a, a page section. Yeah. That may have two images on it, like two literal image tags. Maybe at the okay. top you show a featured image, and in the lower okay. right corner you show a little round image of the author's head, you know, their avatar. Okay. So that block has two literal image, IMG tags, right? Right. Two literal image elements as defined by HTML. <laughs> so but, there are lowercase e elements, but also uppercase e elements. Right. But <laughs> in BAM, they you would call those elements, but one mm. would be blog underscore underscore featured image, and the other one would be blog underscore underscore author avatar. Or author right, image. because we we separate the block and the element with double underscore. Right. right? So I do remember you, that. When you get to this first... Uh, this sort of first order of granularity that is separated by mm-hmm. two underscores. We're going to, as we get into this conversation, we're going to be saying underscore, underscore, and dash, dash a lot. So I for- yeah. yeah, forgive me ahead of time on that. So that's, this actually goes back to a point I made earlier about why SAS works really well with them. Because yes. if you have your block, um, you can define your block as, for example, um, like dot blog card, for example. But you could do dot blog card dash uh, underscore underscore. And then within that block in the SAS, you could have ampersand and then immediately um, avatar or or like feature image or whatever. And then the the compiled CSS will then be the full thing. But in your in your SAS, though, it reads a little bit cleaner. And the relationship between the two things is uh, more obvious. Yeah, and um, I know this will be, you know, some of this may be a little hard to visualize as we're talking about it. The articles we have linked in the show notes have tons of examples of all of this. And seeing it in use will really put it together pretty heavily. So um, I'll say that here. The last section is modifiers. So a modifier is a flag on a block or element. Use them mm-hmm. to change appearance or behavior. So maybe on your your pricing table, you have one of the elements is the featured plan, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Or maybe on a form, you have an errored field, right? So it's dash, dash, errored. Use two dashes for any modifier. Apply them to a block or an element. So you could have block, underscore, underscore, element, dash, dash, modifier. You can have it on any given selector. So that's the basic structure, block, element, modifier. One of each. We'll talk about that in a second. And everything in your markup gets a class now. Everything. Okay. When you when you are creating a component, mm-hmm. every item in that should get a class. Um, even things you're not necessarily styling. Okay. The reason for this is a it ensures you maintain semantic meaning in your markup. So when you look back at that HTML code, you know what everything is. But also, it ensures that people downstream of you can target those elements with BEM selectors and style them down the road. Because uh-huh. maybe, maybe you're not the one styling it now, but in six months you want to change something or add something or whatever. Then that class is already there, ready to go, ready to be styled. So it's, you know, it, it's about sort of completeness of case. 
I know that will feel like, and when you look at some examples that use BAM, it, it feels a bit like class soup. Um, like, my mm-hmm. God, there are so many classes on all this stuff. I, a, I think it's one of the better methodologies compared to like an atomic CSS or a tachyon, which really mm-hmm. turn into tag soup, like literal genuine tag soup. Um, because there's just there's a tag for every single thing. It's like everything's a utility class, basically. I I know that I know that Tailwind is a hot thing right now, and Rails has formally adopted Tailwind in a semi-official capacity. But I I tried it. I'm just I'm not a fan. It's similar to the Tachyon's thing, it just it makes it just makes the HTML look like. Oh. Tachyon though also I think to me qualifies more as an actual framework. It's not a methodology. Oh, yeah, that's true. They're already written. That's yeah, true. Like it has, like, yeah. it, it just is an opinionated framework to begin with. Mm-hmm. But anything, once you've deployed it, like, if you're using Atomic CSS and that works for you, that's your framework then. Like, it, it is both a methodology, but it becomes mm-hmm. a framework as you actually codify that process for your development. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, let's see. Oh, and here's the other part. While it's easy to sit down and say, my God, this makes my HTML look terrible. It's class soup, whatever. <laughs> it's not actually detrimental to HTML really in any way. It doesn't yeah. hurt payload size. Text compresses well. You know, everything gets gzipped usually by the server anyway. Like, mm-hmm. it's not actually impacting anything but the aesthetics. And even then, when you have good semantic classing, even if there's a lot of it, Personal opinion doesn't look that bad because you can look at that source, view that source, and know what every single thing is. Yeah, it's human readable. And that's the thing about BEM. BEM should be human readable. I like BEM better than most CSS methodologies. Um, I like it better than Tachyons. I like it better than some of the like OOCSS stuff that we've seen. Um, I It feels inelegant to me. And so as a personal preference, I, I generally don't pick it. Um, like, I don't like the fact that everything has to have a class, um, and that for the most part, you're not really leveraging any of the cascading. I understand that specificity wise, maybe that's favorable, but it just, it hurts the, the artisan in me. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I don't disrespect to them or anyone that chooses to use it. I fully understand the benefits of using it. Um, but just like personally though, I just, I don't know, man, I, for me, like when I look at an HTML code, if I see something that has little few to no classes or ID tag attributes, I'm just like, oh, that is beautiful. (laughs) And to go back to what we said earlier, there are plenty of projects where that makes perfect sense too. Yeah. Yeah. And plenty, and plenty where BEM makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, A large site, a large application, that's just not a feasible goal to have really, you know, in most cases. Um, uh, and, and there will be plenty of people who say, well, just class the parent object and don't mm-hmm. class all the children element, just use the cascade and use those selectors. And you know, there, there are schools of thought where that works. That's, but that's, that's not usually them. my approach. That's, yeah. that's just yeah. another yeah, yeah. methodology and it has pros and cons, um, which sure. And yeah, we'll I'll talk give, about I'll some of those that. here. Yeah. Um, so let's, let's talk about some of the actual like usage of this. First and foremost is some advice. Um, to not chain modifiers or elements, um, what are sometimes called grandchild selectors. Uh, this, oh. this comes up when, and, and I've seen this done, again, it's not strictly wrong. It is generally considered an anti-pattern. Um, 
there's nothing that will stop you from doing it. If it's working for mm-hmm. you, then great. But it is just considered an anti-pattern. And that's doing something like block underscore underscore element underscore underscore another element. Okay, so this would this would trip me up. So I see you have an example here of card um, underscore underscore list underscore underscore item right. versus do the correct way of doing card underscore underscore item. Card underscore, so underscore item, yes. if you had card with an actual unordered list in it, and you wanted to style the list items, those list items would be card item and yes. not card list item. Yeah, there's there's no reason, okay. like uh, whether in BEM or even just in general, like there's no value added to that process by chaining those elements and creating a grandchild selector. What, um, what about if you used both unordered lists and ordered lists and maybe definition lists within the same card or maybe in different cards? Then just use the right element name. So you would have something like, you know, let's, let's say it's a person card. In this case, you're creating a, a, yeah. a person card that has a list of social media networks that they sure. use. Um, and maybe, maybe you have a person card that has an ordered list in the, in the excerpt on the person card. Like uh, this person does these things, but then also like an unordered list at the bottom with a link to their social. Yeah. So like the, okay. the top one would just be like, you know, let's let's use the namespacing approach. So C dash person card or, or component dash person mm-hmm. underscore underscore ordered list. Or okay. even better than that would be let's say that first list, that ordered list, mm-hmm. is like their their qualifications. Okay. Then call it underscore underscore qualifications. Okay. Uh and then the list items in that would be C dash person underscore underscore qualification. Oh, okay. You know, again, think semantically, not, okay, this is a list. This is a list in semantic HTML, but what is it? Like, what is it really? It is a list of qualifications, then call it that. Is it okay to put one, like, BEM class or selector? I'm not sure what we would call it one BEM thing like underneath another? Like could I do card list and then with card item under that? Oh yeah. Everything a gets a class. Always. Right. But I mean like is it a, is that okay? Is that gauche or is that okay to do? Like can I do like dot card underscore underscore list and then space dot card underscore underscore item and that would be okay? It it would never should never that that explicit example should never happen because your list okay. should not also be an item. The things inside the list are the items. Okay. So, like, the list would be the UL or the OL or the DL. Yeah. The item would be the LI. I think, I think I'm just having a, a break in comprehension because I keep wanting to think about it in terms of cascading. And right. This is, like, a lot more, like, uh, explicit. Yeah. Remember what I said at the start. BEM. Yeah tries to go around the cascade. It doesn't want right, to use right. the cascade. Everything <laughs> so, is discreetly done for the explicit purpose of everything being portable. You can pick it right. up and move it and know that it's going to look exactly right. And you don't have mm-hmm. to worry about the the list style you made for your blog excerpts colliding with the mm-hmm. list style you're using on your person cards. That will that yeah. that should never happen with BAM. Sure. There will be an exception to this we'll get to here at the end where I, I kind of talk about this, but mm-hmm. there there are some cases 
it seems like this is really good for sites that might have like modular components that may need to be shuffled around or reconfigured or something. Um, but does that sound accurate? Yeah. Now, the other thing to kind of go back to the point you were asking, though, can you have mm-hmm. multiple classes on an element? The answer is absolutely yes, and it will happen a lot. And I'll okay. We can we'll talk about here what a mix is basically, and and okay. all of that. The other, I want to finish up on this just to say the, one of the other big reasons to not use grandchild selectors like chaining modifiers or chaining elements um, is mm-hmm. it just makes those classes much harder to read. If you go in knowing, hey, this code is BEM and you expect it to be block element modifier, not beam mm-hmm. block element element modifier, like it makes right. it, it makes it harder to understand the relationships between those fields. So now it's like, oh, is there no case in which an item can exist without a list? Now, semantically in HTML, that's probably true, but think about mm-hmm. it if it was divs and spans, maybe, of something. Maybe you're not doing your social media links as a list. Um, and so now it's like, well, I should be able and could be able to just do that as three spans. Why do I need the, the wrapper, you know, so to speak? Um, and so that's that's where you get into some of these questions and... and um, the other, so where we get into like more than one class, modifiers, for instance, generally, they don't have to, again, this is a convention thing, but usually a modifier will just include any added or modified properties. So a good use case of this, let's say you have a form with fields. So your form is your block, your fields are your elements, and you may have something like form underscore underscore text input. That's your element. And that styles it, it puts a border on it, gives it some padding, makes the text bigger, and and uh, maybe has a, a background icon on it for like a, maybe a little email uh, full, uh, envelope, you know, to indicate that it's an okay. email field or something. Then you could add form underscore underscore text input dash dash invalid. And that dash dash invalid class wouldn't carry all of the styles from its root selector, it would just have border red three pixels. And when that gets applied, then like if it's an email field and you typed in your name, you know, maybe you've probably got some JavaScript or something maybe running on that for validation. It would add the invalid modifier class. And so that would just change the one little thing um, that it needs to. Caveat being, and I said this is a convention, there are ways of writing your CSS, your SAS, that you don't have to add CSS. You could swap it out um, okay. if you wanted to. So, like, your dash dash invalid could, in fact, have all the CSS from the parent selector in it. There are pluses and minuses to that, and I'm actually in a situation mm-hmm. now where I'm cleaning up some SAS that works that way. And <laughs> it, it turns out, like, there, there's, there are quite a few reasons, like, that it makes your CSS a lot bigger for one. Um, and it makes it harder yeah. to understand like where modifiers are inheriting all of the parent attributes and not just adding, you know, the, the modified values. So that's something to just think about, but maybe like yeah. your, your normal text input has a gray border. And so the dash dash invalid modifier changes it to red. So that would be the only thing it, it I, needs to have. I would have a hard time using BEM and not expecting at least local cascading within a block. Like if I have if I have a block defined and then I have different especially with modifiers, like I, I would I would want them 
I, I would want them to like assume the traits of the parent. Yeah, which like I said, you can do. Um, you can use mix-ins, for instance, that will do that. You can use extends um, that can do okay. that. So you might set up all of your headers. H, you know, maybe you set up all your H1 through H6 styles, right? And maybe you've got a design system that very discreetly articulates. Here's what every header needs to look like. And so mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know that your header in your person block, their name, needs yeah. – let's, let's say it needs to look like an H2. But semantically, okay. it is not an H2, right, for, for the purposes of right. the page. So you have like an H2 mix. So you would have your person underscore underscore name. And in the right. CSS, you might do at extend H2. Right. Um, again, I'll get in. I'll, I'll explain. That's not a great way to do it, but it is a way to do it. The better way would okay. be to use a mix in. Just for, which, is in which is include. Yeah, yeah, at include, yeah. and you would have right. a set of mix-ins that would define that. It's more efficient mm-hmm. is the only is the reason why. Um, okay. But you can use that to do what you're talking about. If you want mm-hmm. to only use, like when, when a field goes invalid, if you don't want to add a class, you just want to change the class that's on it, and you can say, mm-hmm. well, you know that you begin with form underscore underscore text input, you can use yeah. a an attribute selector class up caret equals which says any element with a class beginning with right form underscore underscore text input and then that will inherit that same stuff there are some clever ways to write your Hmm. actual css to leverage that the the trick to it is being consistent because what you're doing there is you're creating a new convention that that might work for you but Make sure your other devs are all on board with that because that becomes just another way of now you've written something that may be way more greedy than the way everybody else is writing their CSS. Hmm. And so that is a decision your team needs to make if that's the way you want your classes to work. We want to use one class ever per element. That is something you can absolutely do. Um, You just have to be consistent about it because if if you do it mm-hmm. one way and everybody else is doing it another you've cre- recreated one of those problems of you're you're the odd man out and now somebody has to maintain that later and they don't understand why it's all different for that code mm-hmm. um so with blocks in blocks um or or you know nested blocks there's a constant okay. question that comes up of is this an element or is this a block and if it's another block, <laughs> should I use the other block name or should I create something new? I'm just imagining like, you know. Turtles all the way down? The, yeah. Well, like if you have like a content area, right? I would think of that as being like a block, sort of. I mean, it's like a layout block, I guess. Or like a, like a navigation bar or something. I don't know. It could be anything. Um, But then having like other blocks within it and – like what would take precedence? Yeah, so, I, I guess maybe you just look to whatever is the most recent block above it, or like you like conceptually you think about, you know, what parts of this are portable. Like, could they be taken out of right. this the parent content or parent so block? Here's the uh, let's make it an easy use case, right? Let's say, okay, and okay. I'm going to stick with my person card. Let's sure. say that person card needs a contact me button on it. Okay. Right? Your button, you use buttons probably all over your website. And so it's mm-hmm. entirely likely that a button is on its own a block. 
you have a literal C dash button block already defined. Okay. And so now you're left with the question of, well, inside this C dash person block, Mm -hmm. do I add in a C dash button block or do I create a C dash person underscore underscore button? And then extend mm. the button class into it, the button block into it, or or mix in the button block into it. It's a hundred percent acceptable to just include the block that already exists there. If it needs to be a little different, let's say the contact button on a person card is exactly like every other button on the site, except that it just needs a different background color. Mm-hmm. You can create a a modifier. You could have C dash button dash dash red mm. and it makes the button red um okay. or you could have your c dash person underscore underscore c dash button and it's red now that's a little confusing and the first thing that i'm going to say is mixes are also somewhat considered an anti-pattern <laughs> um, <laughs> the trick to doing them right is your element name should match the block name of the thing that you're mixing. So if if your block name is C-button, the mm-hmm. element name on your person card would be C-button so that you know those two things. Like you are referencing another block and you're going to use your mix-in or use your extend to bring in those styles. Can you, like, uh, if we have a card like a person card and then a button component within it. How would you style these? So what would the classes be? We are assuming mm-hmm. if there is no change, if that button right. looks exactly like every other button, yeah. you just use your button block class name, C dash button. Okay. Or, or button, you know, like say the, the right. C dash is an optional, just namespacing thing. Sure. Um, for, in fact, for the sake of argument, I'm going to leave that off just to make it easier to say. Okay. So button. So button. So if there, if that button looks like every other button, then just use the button block class and use it inside okay. your person block. That's fine. That That's acceptable entirely. If that needs to look different, let's say it looks like every other button on the site, except it needs a red background. You yeah. have two choices. Make a button dash dash red. So that's a mm-hmm. button block that's modified to be red. Or do a button block and then have a person underscore underscore button and the button element of the person card defines that it's red. Either one of those two approaches <laughs> is fine, but it's you're isolating the change that the change is unique to the person card that way. I wish that we had like a live or like a visual example of this. Cause I feel like that would communicate it a lot. I, I said earlier, like for anybody that is yeah. getting a little turned around on this, go to the show notes. Every one yeah. of the the links we've got in there has tons of examples of this, and it does mm-hmm. it absolutely does help to see it in action. Um, sure. the The thing is, like when you're using what's called a mix, where you're combining these elements um, mm. in in different ways, you want to create the least amount of inter interdependency that you can, because if you were to get rid of a block, that can be problematic. A button mm-hmm. block is probably never going to go away. You're always going to have buttons on your site. But if you have something that's a lot more unique than that, the, the one of the big advantages to all of this BEM stuff is knowing when you can get rid of CSS, right? Like, if you get rid of your pricing table, 
you know you can delete your entire pricing table partial from your CSS mm-hmm. now. You never have this question of, well, this stuff might be getting used over here and this stuff, headers, you know, heading classes, text classes, mm-hmm. all of this kind of stuff you run into this. Like, you end up with CSS files that never get anything taken out, even though you may only be using half of the CSS in that file. Mm-hmm. Five years later, you're still compiling all of those partials and you don't know what is or is not being used anymore. Um, ending on on two things. So first off, don't commit to this methodology at the expense of what makes sense. So breaking BEM, mm-hmm. right? How how do you know when to break BEM? Uh, you'll always discover instances where you need your common root elements styled at some point. So we're talking P tags, A tags, you know, mm-hmm. H2 through H6 probably. Um, a really good example of this image, you know, base image tags. Good example of this is blog posts. Because mm-hmm. if, if it's not just you, and even if it is just oh, you, you don't <laughs> – if, if somebody's putting a lot of content in a WYSIWYG – you, oh, yeah, you're never going to get people to use them yeah, classes you, for those. Are you going to really yeah. ask them to go in, go into code no. view, and add a class to every single P tag? No, not especially not a BEM class. Those the, those would not make I, – I've worked at this exact situation, and that will never fly. Yeah, no, that doesn't work. <laughs> so you do need to think about, like, what root styling needs to be declared. Um, mm-hmm. It's almost impossible to get around that um, unless you yeah. really are manually curating – your whole site and you're not doing anything that would resemble true long form content. Like, right. That's just something to think about. It makes sense. And there's no reason to bend over backwards to maintain BAM at the sacrifice of doing what makes sense in, in that situation. And that's one that you will run into almost always. Um, another one to go all the way back to what you brought up when we were talking about blocks, right? These sort of, let's call them utility classes, right? Mm-hmm. BEM generally doesn't want you to use utility classes, but it does 100% make sense with things like is active, has error, right. you know, right. um, is visible, something like that. Because it is generally much easier to hook those classes into JavaScript for dynamic mm-hmm. stuff like, or, you know, let's say it's um, has uh, has error, right, on your form fields. Maybe your validation when it sees, like, it, you know, you typed a name into the email field, your JavaScript validator, it's much easier to have it toggle on the class list has error right. than it is yeah. to build a BEM class name and apply right. it and remove it dynamically. Uh, some tools to end on real fast, and these are real simple because the reality is, like we say, BEM is a convention. Um, mm-hmm. There aren't like any programmatic tools really to lend to this. It's just... Things that help you write it. Um, there is a SAS BEM mixins npm package. Uh, there is uh, Franz Heidel has something called BEMify, which is a series of mixins for SAS. <laughs> uh, there's also an article over at CSS Tricks that has a bunch of snippets for BEM mixins. All of these are only there to help you write the stuff, and it's pretty easy to write vanilla as well, um, or like vanilla SAS anyway. Aaron, you mentioned it, right? Like, just mm-hmm. nest your SAS elements, use the ampersand to glom them together. Like, that's mostly yeah. all these mixins do. And, and most of the mixins just give you that name, like, at include block and then give it a name. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I've seen them in the wild. That's usually how it yeah. is. Just put that. Um, Aaron. Yes. We're at the end. Ask me a question. <sighs> 
What have I what have I said that's way too confusing? Um it, it's probably the nesting of of blocks, right? Yes. And mixes, yeah. Yeah. No, I I think that's something that I I, I think that in many ways learning the nuance and judgment on BEM is similar to learning the nuance and judgment on traditional CSS. Yeah. Uh, show notes. I've, I've said that a lot this episode and I do think it's important because this is mm-hmm. a lot of code, a lot yeah, of it, convention <laughs> and seeing it in use. You should absolutely, absolutely look at the links, especially the Smashing Magazine one. It will click instantly a lot of the stuff we're saying because you'll see it and be like, oh, I get it. You know, one way that we could have made this a lot easier, of course, is if I'd been using Tela and jumped on there and opened up a screen share and recorded that, <laughs> threw my video in the corner, and I could have done an entire live coding session along with this because All right. they're cool. I I think that we should do we should definitely do live coding with like some kind of stream or video component, I think, in a new upcoming episode. Well, what's cool is Tela lets you do that. It records mm-hmm. everything. You can add your audio, add your video. You can have a slide deck on it. You can, you know, just capture what you're doing. They have a Chrome plugin. All you need is a browser. All you need is a microphone, camera. And if you don't have one of those things, that's fine. You can just use what you have, you know, and leave out one of those or add something later. Um, Tele is fantastic at capturing those elements. Let you customize those things. Throw in a background tweak the layout to something that makes sense for you and, and even add in outside video clips if that's what you need. Um, go in there, showcase your work, share your knowledge. That can be for your teammates, for your any of your followers online, doing stuff for your customers, um, doing stuff for other collaborators and content editors at, at, your, at your company. Um, mm-hmm. Check them out. Getting a free account is as easy as going to tele.com slash ducks. It's T-E-L-L-A dot com slash D-U-X. Sign up and start recording something and share it with the world. Folks, hope this was educational. I know few parts probably are a little hard to articulate uh, and, and doing it just sort of off the cuff like we did may not make a lot of sense. So check us out. We're happy to answer any questions. Whatever. Find find the methodology that works right for you. Yeah, I... I... I know I said earlier that like it's it's not for me, but I definitely see the benefits in it, and like I can understand why any of the frameworks would be useful. I think choosing the one that's right for your project is definitely uh, an important consideration. If you want to come talk to us about this, be sure to check us out on Twitter or Facebook at slash Drunken UX. We're on Instagram at slash Drunken UX Podcast, or if you want to drop into our Discord, it's drunkenux.com slash Discord. It's a great way to share those questions with us. You know, get information, get feedback, or ask us about a, a use case that you're unsure of and, and want to know more about. If you're enjoying the Drunken UX podcast and want to help us out a little bit, you can support us. We are on Patreon. Just go to drunkenux.com support, and you can go there and get access to full-length interviews and episodes with additional content. At the end of the day, we got to think about the fact that uh, if we're going to make the show the best that we can... Um, you know, talking mm. about these topics about about BIM, uh, whether that's Ruby, CSS stuff coming up, um, you know, all, mm. all of these things help us make the show better. We get that feedback from you. You know, the, the Patreon is a great way to get your voice heard if there's a topic that you want, if there's, you know, a subject that you want covered or if you have deeper questions about anything we've covered in the past. 
Um, and it's just mm-hmm. our little way of keeping our personas close, but our <laughs> users closer. Welcome to season five, everybody. Have a great 2022. <laughs>